So I get FOMO. If you know what FOMO is, it's the fear of missing out. I don't know if you get that as well, uh, the fear of missing out on experiences, on events, on personal jokes or moments. That's what you call FOMO. And I get this. Now, I realized um, not that long ago that this actually has a, a psychological effect on me. Um, Elizabeth went to this, so my wife Elizabeth went to uh, some talks on anxiety, and the guy there was speaking about how he has this thing called health anxiety. Health anxiety is what you have because of FOMO. It's when you think that any symptom in your body is a terminal one. And you get it, well, he was saying you get it because you're actually afraid of missing out on something. For him, it was his kids growing up. Now, I have this. Um, I have always thought that my symptoms have been terminal ones. Those close to me have often paid me out about this. Now, you can let go of that because you know that my struggle is real. Um, but this has been something that, that actually has crippled me throughout my life in, in certain moments. So I remember in grade 10, um, going to bed at night, feeling, I must have seen it on TV or something, heard about bird flu, and I remember going to sleep at night, deeply convinced that we were all going to die from bird flu. Now, that's kind of funny, but to me, I mean, I felt sick to my stomach in that moment. It's this, like, health anxiety, and this still happens in different ways over the years, and it all comes from my fear of missing out, the fear of missing out on experiences or something else. Now, I know that this morning I'm not alone, that FOMO isn't the only thing that I have here, that some of us have here ha have this as well, the fear of missing out. But even if you don't have this fear this morning, I also recognize that I'm not alone, because if you don't have the fear that I have, the reality is that even still this morning, all of us here in the world that we live in gather today with some sort of fear. Whether yours is a fear of missing out or a fear of something else, all of us this morning gather here with some deep, dark, different fears. And so this morning, we want to ask the question, what is your fear? What are you afraid of? Take a moment and actually think of what your fear is. Is it health? Is it death? Is it sickness? Is it some kind of suffering? Is it something that's internally you're afraid of maybe being alone or what other people think of you? Is your fear external and what people can do to you? This morning, we all have fears. You're not alone. All of us have some sort of fears. Now, now this morning, the question we want to ask is not simply what are your fears, but what are we supposed to do with our fears? What are we supposed to do with our fears? Are we as Christians simply meant to just not speak about it and move on with our lives? Are we supposed to pretend like they don't exist? Or what are we supposed to do with our fears? Well, as we get into this passage, what we see in Mark chapter 4 is we meet real people in a real time and place in history. We get their eyewitness accounts and they have real fears. And what we see is that Jesus addresses these fears and speaks into these fears. And as we gather into this passage, as we look into this passage, we see what we can do with our fears as well. So if you have your Bibles there, let's pick it up from chapter 4, verse 35. And what we see in these first couple of verses is that Mark sets the scene for us. Verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now here the scene is set for us. It's the same day that Jesus has just done all his teaching that we saw last week where he spoke about 
big things like the king and the kingdom and his parables, right? It's the same day. This is the picture for us. And it's Jesus' idea at the end of that day to get in the boat and go over to the other side. It's actually important to note that here. It's Jesus' idea to go over to the other side at night. He could have waited till the next day. He could have waited till it was a nice Brisbane sunny day without much wind. He could have waited till it was the perfect day to go sailing, but he didn't. It's his idea at night to go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That's important to note, and we'll see that as we work through this. So he says to his disciples, let's go. It's at nighttime. There's other boats around. They take Jesus. The scene is set, right? You got that picture in your head? Jesus on the boat with his disciples heading over at nighttime on the Sea of Galilee. What happens next? Well, pretty much everything that could go wrong does go wrong. Verse 37, a furious squall came out, which is just a windstorm, or we can even think just a storm, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? You ever had one of those days where everything seems to go wrong that could possibly go wrong? This is one of those days for the disciples. They get on the boat, they go over to the other side, and as they do, everything starts going wrong. The wind starts picking up, it gets bigger and bigger until the waves start coming onto the boat. Right? It's getting massive and massive. They're afraid, they think they're going to die. And where's Jesus? He's asleep. He's having a nap during the craziest storm of their lives. Now, now to really understand what's going on here, we do have to you know, get into this space. So the Sea of Galilee, the sea that they're on, is this sea that was situated 200 meters below sea level. Uh, all around this sea were mountains, right? And because of that, I mean, I don't know exactly why, but because of that, uh, these massive storms rolled over and hit the Sea of Galilee. Still do, actually, even today. These storms hit the Sea of Galilee. The place that I think of when we're thinking of the Sea of Galilee in Brisbane is Mugra. Mugra Dam. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about, or Lake Mugra. Here it is. You've got that dam or the lake, whatever it is there, the bed of water. And then around it, you have all of these mountains, right? That's what Mugra is like. Now, we can move on from that picture because Mugra is called Mugra from the Aboriginal word that means uh, home of the thunderstorm. And if you've been to Mugra, you have experienced this before, that there are just storms pretty much constantly at Mugra. None bigger than the one that we had at the end of last year uh, on our youth camp. So the girls went out, were tubing and skiing, having the time of their lives. They come back. The boys go out to tube and ski. Maybe it was ironic or whatever else, but then the clouds started rolling over the, the mountains. So we decided to go in. Uh, James dropped us off, quickly took the boat back. And then what happened next? what happened next was the craziest storm I've ever seen in my life. I mean, we're inside in, this, in the house looking out. The, the rain is going sideways. The wind's blowing. Sticks are falling off the trees. Um, we, we have this big water trampoline, uh, which is this kind of maybe like a jumping castle almost on the water. It's pretty heavy. It takes six guys to kind of move that down there. We then screw that thing into the bottom of the dam with these big screws. It's, you can't move this thing. But during the storm the wind actually blew the whole thing over. It was crazy. The storm was insane. It was the biggest storm I've ever been in. We were inside and I was afraid, <laughs> right? Like we're inside a house looking out on this thing and I'm like, man, this is pretty bad. 
Now, the disciples, when they're on the boat, I think the picture is actually like that, right? The guys on the boat, they're, they're middle of the night and this storm comes. The, the wind is blowing so hard, we can picture the rain is going sideways and they're freaking out. And it's a big deal that they're freaking out. I mean, some of these guys are seasoned fishermen. And I think we all know that when fishermen think, that when fishermen are afraid, it's obviously a big deal. These guys are afraid on a boat in a storm. They've been in situations like this before. But here they genuinely think that they're going to die right? because of what's happening. The wind's blowing so big. The waves are crashing into the boat. The boat is nearly swamped. They think that they're going to perish. They think this is it for them. And where's Jesus? Asleep. He's absent. In the face of fear and in the face of death, Jesus is nowhere to be found. Maybe not an uncommon feeling for some of us. In the face of fear and in the face of death, when we cry out to God and we get no answers, when we're looking around for activity from God and it seems like he's simply asleep, we cry out when we want something, just a word, and we get nothing. I mean, that's what's going on for these disciples. In the face of fear, in the face of death, and the only hope they have is asleep on the boat. Now, now, just practically, I mean, you want all hands on deck helping getting that water out of the boat here. But more than that, these guys know that Jesus can do some big things. They've already seen him do big things. And yet Jesus is asleep. And so they go over to Jesus and they speak to Jesus. They wake him up. They're in the situation where they can actually wake Jesus up. And unlike us, they can go over to Jesus and wake him up. And they wake Jesus up and they say these words. They say, don't you care that we're going to drown? Don't you care, Jesus, that we're going to drown? Can you see what they're saying? If you cared, you wouldn't let this happen. If you cared, we wouldn't be in this situation. If you loved us, you would have stopped this storm a long time ago. Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that your people, your followers are going through some pain? They're freaking out. Don't you care that we're going to die? Again, maybe not an uncommon feeling, is it? Well, we've been in, in storms, we've been going through things where we felt or we wanted to say, maybe we have said it, to God, if you cared about me, I, I wouldn't be going through this. If you loved me, I wouldn't be putting up with this storm right now. It's what the disciples say to Jesus. In the middle of the storm, they wake him up and they say to him, don't you care? Now, how is Jesus going to respond to that? How is he going to react to that when people say, don't you care? What do we see? Verse 39, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Jesus gets up and he speaks to the wind and he speaks to the waves and he tells it to be quiet and it listens to him. That's crazy. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you've told wind to just settle down, where you've told the waves to chill out for a bit. I mean, that's what I said at Mugra. I'm like, man, I wish this storm would just stop for a moment. I wish it would just calm down. You know what happened when I said that? No, I mean, I wish I could say like the, it calmed down and it was glassy and we went back out and skied, but, but that didn't happen. <laughs> I can't do that. No one can do that. 
And I can't do that, and, and we can't do that, because when we speak to creation, creation doesn't listen to us. But for Jesus, it's different. He speaks to the wind, and he speaks to the waves, and they have no choice but to listen to him. Because what Jesus is doing here is showing us something that he's already said. He's showing us that he's God. He's backing up his big statements with big actions. He speaks to the wind, and he speaks to the waves, and it has no choice but to listen to him. As they see the words of the Creator, they have to listen to Him. The wind that He created, the waves that He made, He speaks to them and they listen to Him. Jesus is the Creator here, and He speaks and it's calm. Right now, now practically speaking, the rain that was going sideways has stopped. The waves that were crashing into the boat have ceased, and now the water is calm. It's, it's what we'd call glassy where you look out and you can see the stars in the reflection and the moon in the reflection. This is what Jesus has just done here. How did he do that? Well, well, he did that because he's God, the creator, the one who spoke this stuff into existence. Here he's speaking to the wind and the waves and it has no choice but to listen to him. We can't do that because we are created. He's the creator. He's different to us. He speaks and it calms. That's the how he does that because he's God. But our question still is why does he do that? Why does Jesus do it? Is it simply because he's proving to these guys that he cares for them? Is that what happens? That when we cry out to God in the midst of our storm and say, don't you care about me, that Jesus comes and calms it? I mean, not only do we know that that doesn't happen, I don't think we want a God who has to prove to us constantly that he cares about us. So why does he do this? Well, as we keep reading, what we see is that Jesus is at work in this storm. And the reason why he does this is because he wants his disciples to know who he is. He wants them to see clearly who he is. And we see that from the final, in the final verse, it's from verse 40. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus wants his disciples to see who he is. And knowing who Jesus is affects the storm. He says to them in this moment, why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? Now that is an odd thing to say. To say to these disciples, why are you so afraid? It is a strange thing to say. It's kind of like what happens when we speak to our kids. So uh, I was playing with my uh, nephew on Monday. We were playing soccer in the backyard. He's two and eight months or something like that. And, you know, at that stage, it's all nice and cute. They don't really understand how soccer works. So they just kick the ball and run around. He's having the greatest, you know, well, in my mind, the greatest time of his life, right, with his uncle. It's, it's awesome. He's having fun. He's laughing as he kicks the ball. It's enjoyable. Then all of a sudden, uh, the wind starts to blow. You know, not, it's not that crazy. I mean, it's pretty calm, but you can see it in the trees. You can see it up there. You can kind of hear it. It's not big enough for sticks to fall down or anything like that, but you can see the wind. Mid-like soccer, he stops kicking the ball, and he looks at the wind. He hears the wind. And just, just like that, in the middle of it, just says, all right, maybe we go inside. And, you know, now he's allowed to be afraid of the wind. He's two years old. But in that moment, right, well, I, I look down at him, get down to his level, and I say, why are you afraid? You don't have to be afraid. Like, it's just wind. We'll be okay. To which he was like, okay, cool, and just starts kicking the ball again. Right? But that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. Speaking to the disciples like we speak to kids, why are you afraid? Jesus says, why are you afraid to these disciples? Now, it is an odd thing to say because we know why they're afraid. 
there on a boat in the middle of the night, winds blowing and waves crashing into the boat. They think they're going to die. Every single one of us here today would be afraid in that moment. That's pretty natural to be afraid in the middle of the night when that's happening to you. But Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And what he's saying there is if you really understood who I was, if you really got that the guy in your boat wasn't just an ordinary guy, but the God of the universe, the God of the wind and the God of the waves, if you understood who I was, Jesus says, you wouldn't be afraid. If you got that here in the boat was God among us, you wouldn't be scared of the wind and the waves. I mean, you'd probably be sleeping with Jesus as well. You'd probably have your cushion out, having a nap as well, because here is God. He's in control. He's sovereign. He made the wind that's blowing. He made the waves that are crashing into your boat. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? What's their response? Well, they become then afraid of Jesus. They are terrified. They are more scared now of Jesus than they were of the wind and the waves. Their fear of creation has been replaced by the fear of the Creator. As they see Jesus speaking to wind and speaking to waves, and the wind and the waves actually listen to Him. Their fear of their creation is now replaced by the fear of the Creator. And they say, who is this? Who can do this? Now, as we read this, who can do this? Well, it's God. God can do this. God can make winds stop. God can make waves calm. And he does this for the disciples. He does this for these guys. He's showing them who he is. Now, now as we read this story, as we think about this storm, as we think about our storms and our fears, the, the reality is, as we, as we read this, I think this is great for the disciples, right? Their storms are calmed. But as we read this, we know that our storms aren't always calmed. As we read this, we understand that our fears aren't always answered like this because we've either either been in situations or watched situations where people have cried out to God and He hasn't done anything. So, So again, the question for us is, what do we do with our fears? What do we do with our storms? What do we do when we're in the place of the disciples and Jesus isn't seemingly answering us? Well, from this passage, what we see is that there are three things that we can see from this passage. Three things that help us with our fears and help us in our storms. And here are those three things. The first is that God is sovereign. The second is that God is there. And the third is that God is good. God is sovereign, God is there, and God is good. The first thing we see is that God is sovereign. In the storm, God is still sovereign. God is still in control. He is the one who the wind and the waves have to listen to. The God of the universe is sovereign. He's the one who's in control. Now, he's the one who controls everything. He controls the universe. He's sovereign over everything. He made everything. Nothing shocks God. Nothing traps God. Nothing backs God into a corner. Nothing surprises God. God is sovereign. And it is a really good thing for us to recognize that God is sovereign. It's a really good thing for us to recognize that God is in control. It was his idea to get into the boat. It was his idea to go at night. He was asleep, but he wasn't absent because he's in control. And this is good for us to recognize in our fears and in our storms. See, if your fear is like mine, the fear of missing out, the way that this plays out is that when we recognize that God is sovereign, when we see that God is in control, if I experience what I'm hoping to experience, if I get to experience what I'm looking for or what my dreams are, 
The reason I get to do that is because God is in control and God is sovereign. But at the same time, if I don't get to experience it, it's because God's in control, because God is sovereign. That's a freeing thing to recognize. It's a freeing thing to realize that God is actually in control. But maybe our fear is different to mine. Maybe our fear is of the future. Maybe our fear is our health. Maybe our fear is death. Maybe our fear is suffering or what happens next. Maybe our fear is our job. But you see how God being in control of the future helps us in that? God is sovereign. God's in control. And may, maybe our fear is, is, is something that we can't control. Maybe our fear is our kids or people we love. But God is in control. God is sovereign. Nothing surprises God. He will always be in control. He is in control. He's sovereign. He made the world. And it is a good thing for us to recognize that God is in control. That's the first thing. God is sovereign. The, the second is that God is there. God is there. So God is sovereign. The second thing is God is there. In the middle of the storm, God is there. God is sovereign. And what that means is since he sometimes allows storms to happen, the reality is God never abandons us in the storm. God never leaves us in the storm. He never lets us go alone in the storm. It might feel like we are all alone. It might feel like we have been completely abandoned. But God is constantly, always there in the storm. It might feel like he's asleep. It might feel like he's not answering. We might not be able to see his activity. But God is there in the storm. God is in the middle of our pain. God is working in our pain. And sometimes God works more clearly in our pain than anywhere else. Sometimes in the storm, God speaks and works through us in ways that we couldn't have seen otherwise. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book, The Problem of Pain, says it like this. He says, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God is present in the storm. He's there in the storm. He, he will never leave you alone in the storm. He is working in the storm. And he may have allowed that storm to happen to, to help us see something clearly. But it is a comforting thing and a good thing for us to recognize that God has not left us. No matter what our fears are, no matter how bad it's gotten, no matter if we're alone and if it feels like everyone's abandoned us, God has not and he will never abandon you in the storm. God is there in the darkest days, in the hardest hours. God is there and he's working. I saw this clearly in an article I read uh, recently. And the article was called, In Awe of Her God, Joni's 50 Years of Counting Quadriplegia Joy. Joni was a lady who had a quadriplegic accident by diving uh, into a, a shallow lake. A terrible accident, one with a lot of pain. 50 years on from that accident, this is what she said. I happened to hear recently the old Beatles classic, Here Comes the Sun, a song I listened to when I was first injured. It reminded me of the dark, depressing days in the hospital when I thought I would never smile again in the storm, would never see the sunlight of hope in the storm. 
And now, 50 years later, I still find myself thinking, how in the world did I ever make it? But here I am, living in the joyful hope as though it were sunshine. How did that happen? Here's how. Day after day, month after month, year after year, I simply cast myself on Jesus. I clung to his name, crying out constantly, O Jesus. God is there in the storm. God doesn't promise us storm-free lives. But he does promise to be with us in the storm. He'll never, ever leave you alone in that. It might seem like he's asleep, but, but we can see from his word, the promise is he's there. He's with us in the storm. The first thing is God is sovereign. The second is God is there. And the third thing is that God is good. We see this actually in a really interesting way throughout this passage. The way that Mark records for us is an eyewitness account, but he sets it up for us that actually echoes something from the Old Testament. The story of Jonah in the Old Testament is one that has a lot of similarities between this passage. In Jonah, he gets on a boat like Jesus gets on a boat. A storm hits in the same way that it hit in Mark. Uh, the sailors on the boat in Jonah think they're going to die as the disciples thought they were going to die. Uh, and, and where's Jonah? He's asleep on the boat as Jesus is asleep on the boat. The only main difference seems to be in how the storm stops. In Jonah, the storm stops as Jonah gets thrown headfirst into the storm. If you know the story, and you can read the story, he gets thrown into the storm, and that's how the waves and the wind stops. In Mark, it, it, it doesn't stop like that. Jesus actually speaks to the storm, and it stops. That seems like the main difference. However, as we take a step back from this passage, if we see this in light of the whole book of Mark, what we actually see is that Jesus, like Jonah, went headfirst into the storm. Jesus, like Jonah, went headfirst into the ultimate storm to calm those waves. Jesus went headfirst into the ultimate storm of sin and death that couldn't just destroy us but could take our eternity. Jesus went headfirst into this as he went to the cross. And as he hung on the cross where he was brutally killed, where he was publicly shamed, where the Father turned his face away, Jesus went there for a reason. He went headfirst into the ultimate storm. He died to take our place. He died to calm the waves of sin and death. And as he died, Jesus says, it is finished. And what he was saying was that the waves and the wind were calmed. Death lost its sting. Sin lost its power. Jesus went headfirst into the ultimate storm to calm the waves that were coming for us. And as Jesus went headfirst into this storm, what we see is that he's good. God loves us. We see this. We see God's love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You want to see God loves you? You, you ever question, how do I know if God loves us? We, we look to the cross. And at the cross, we see a God who cares. A God who cares about us. Right? You can see now the disciples' words. Don't you care that we're going to drown? The whole reason Jesus came is because he cares. He loves us. He's good. And he defeated the ultimate storm. So we could have ultimate calm. Maybe not here and now, but he's good and he promises us. And in the storm, we can see that he's good and it brings us a comfort that he's good. 
that despite our present situations, God is still good. God is sovereign. God is there and God is good. God is sovereign. God is there and God is good. In the presence of our fears, in the presence of our storms, fight for these words. Remember these words. Remember these things about our God. He is sovereign. He's in control. He knows what's happening. Nothing has surprised God. He is there in the darkest storm. In the loneliest hour, He's there. He's with us. He's not asleep. And He's good. No matter what happens, He's good. God is sovereign. God is there. And God is good. Fight for this. Hold on to this. This is our hope. God is sovereign. He's there and he's good. In a moment, we're going to sing a song called No Other Name. And in this song, it is all about, despite the fact that we face storms, it's all about how since Jesus has gone through this ultimate storm, how even in our storms here and now, we can still cry out. We can still hold on to his name. He is our hope in the darkest night. He is our broken soul's delight. There's no other name but Jesus. He's our strength to cast out fears. God is sovereign. God is there. And God is good. Let's hold on to this. Let's fight for this. It's ours. Let's pray. God, we celebrate the fact that you are sovereign and in control that you are in our storms, that you are in whatever we're going through, that you will never leave us and that you are good. Lord, we know that you don't promise a storm-free life. We face that. We go through suffering. But what a hope we have in Jesus who went through that ultimate storm so that we could know that one day there will be a place for us where there will be ultimate calm. Help us keep our eyes fixed on this. Help us remember that you are sovereign, that you are with us, and that you are good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.